This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Welcome to the Arden Labs podcast. I'm Bill Kennedy, and our special guest today is Giannis Bergus. Giannis, how's it going? It's going great. How are you doing, Bill? I'm good. It's a very cold week in Miami. I was freezing yesterday at a full 60 degrees Fahrenheit, complaining to my wife why we're not living in Colombia right now. <laughs> this is my big problem, right? It, talking about third world problems here. Um, or first world problems, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> anyway, where, where are you coming from? So I'm based in Austin, Texas right now. Um, and actually it is, it's been pretty chilly here as well, which I was not really expecting having spent some time in the winter time in Texas and gotten used to the fact that it was always warm. But uh, yeah, to Austin currently. How long have you been in Austin? Uh, actually, we just moved here last September. So uh, that's what, five, six months at this point. Um, it's been a bit of a change of scenery because we were previously in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, going away from the mountains is is always really interesting. Uh, Are you an avid skier? Being in Colorado, did you get into that sport? No, unfortunately not. Um, and uh, it's just one of those things that uh, I've never really managed to pick up, unfortunately. But uh, you know, other it's great for other things as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a big change. Uh, the, these are completely different, st I mean, like really different in terms of people, climate, uh, activities, the whole nine yards. So that's interesting. All right. So this is a podcast about you. And I want, you know, I want over the next hour or so to kind of hear your story and how you ended up here in um, Austin. But first, let everybody give everybody a, a basic understanding of what you're doing today in terms of work and tech. Sure. So uh, as of today, I am the CTO uh, at a stealth startup. Uh, we're still uh, yet to announce what we're working on. Uh, it's a little company called Stattype. Um, we've been at it, plugging away for a couple of months, talking to customers and, and kind of figuring out the, the uh, angle to our, how we're going to solve the problem we're working on. Um, but uh, generally speaking, I've been in the, uh, I guess, the infrastructure space uh, uh, for the past better part of the last 10 years or so, uh, working at different angles on it, um, including some public cloud providers and, and companies in the virtualization space as well. Yeah, okay, so you went, you ended up, um, it's gonna be interesting to see how you get down that. I started in that track, doing more of that infrastructure and stuff and hated it. I mean, and back in the 90s, it was all like, if you didn't have the hardware, you weren't fixing problems. So I, I just hated that so much that I, I ended up moving more into the programming side, but you stuck that out. So it's gonna be interesting to hear kind of how, how you get there. Okay, and that's fair, you got a startup, but you're in stealth mode, yeah. So that's that's kind of cool. How long do you think you're gonna be, I'm just curious because I, I, I did some work for a company that was in stealth mode um, for like four years and then they finally, got out of it and then they didn't get the next round of funding and the whole thing went kaput, which was really depressing. It was a fun product I was working on. How, how long do you think you're going to be in stealth mode? Um, I, I, we're pl definitely planning on coming out of the stealth mode this year, um, putting some things in front of the customers, 
um, you know, we are uh, just being a little bit methodical about how we want to approach it because we're taking a little bit of a unique approach to a pretty well-established area. Um, so, you know, not wanting to show our cars just too yet. No, 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 I get it. And I have other questions. So hopefully in, in the end, we'll have time for me to ask other kind of questions around uh, stealth startup because it's interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting to me. So I, we'll get back to that. So uh, the, my, my first question for every guest is to kind of get back into the time machine. Um, wh where did you go to, uh, where, where were you when you were in high school, let's say? Were, were you, where, where were you living in high school? I, I wanna ask that question first because it establishes a, a date for me. So when did you graduate high school or the equivalence of high school if you weren't in the States at that time? Sure. So I, I actually did graduate high school here in States. Uh, this was what, 2004, I think it was, if my math is right. Um, but I actually, um, so my high school spanned three different countries, I guess. Uh, so I, I went to high school here in States, which is where I graduated. I went to high school in uh, Finland, which is actually where I'm originally from. And I actually started my high school in uh, in the UK, or roughly when you think in terms of years, not actual high school, but uh, I started my high school in, in the UK. So, and and from the US perspective, I'm assuming you were still 17, 18 when you graduated from high school here in the state. Okay. Yes. That's okay. Right. Yeah. That, that's my mark. I like that sort of kind of marker for. So that was 2004. Okay. So with, with that in mind get back into the time machine a little bit more. And I'd love to hear that first kind of story that pops into your head about, about when you, when you started working on a computer, like maybe the first time you saw one or the first moment you had, you know, that light bulb moment when you get something to work, like one of those, what, what is, what is that kind of first memory that you have um, with that experience? So that's, that's a great question. I, um, you know, we, as a family, I guess I always grew up around computers. Um, from the earliest memories that I can, I have is from my older brother having. Uh, I actually don't remember what computer he had, but he had a computer. You know, he was playing games, uh, doing things with it. Um, my father was actually a programmer, or is a programmer rather, um, and so he. I've always been around computers, so it's a little bit hard for me to pinpoint that exact moment. But if I had to say sort of where I really got started, I think it was. Probably the uh, when I was in in the UK um, in in high school, uh, I I had quite a bit of time to in my hands and, and that I spent at the computer labs over there, uh, just kind of learning learning things, working on you know HTML, PHP, that kind of thing, uh, just kind of trying to figure things out on my own. Um, so that's probably the sort of the earliest concrete uh, example I can think of outside of some of the very early days, like in elementary school actually. Um, we had this experience where we had a computer in our class um, that we used mostly for playing games. I'm sure it was there for educational purposes, but that's not what we used it for. <laughs> um, and and so one of the things we actually did uh, with my classmates is we we actually modified some some of the code that was on the computer. I think it was QBasic uh, to because uh, we couldn't figure out how to get ourselves into the leaderboard, and so we modified some of the code in the game to put ourselves on the leaderboard at the top of the list uh, because we could. Uh, so, um, you know, that's like the, the earliest real experience with computers where we made them do something other than play games with them. Uh, but realistically, I think it would be the time I spent in the computer labs in, in the UK. 
No, but that's the brilliant story right there, right? Because already in elementary school, you were determined to make the computer do your will. And, and even if you're completely new to the programming, like you figured it out and you like, and then the joy on everyone's face when that happened, I have to imagine you're, you're just jumping up and down. Now you're trying to be cool because you don't want anybody to know, but right. Like I can, I can almost picture the, the excitement when you made that happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it was a, it was a lot of fun for the kids. Um, it took a lot of, a lot of work for, for us. I'm sure we spent better part, part of a year trying to figure that out or something uh, at the time. Uh, Cause we were, you know, obviously not, not programmers or anything like that at the time, but it was pretty incredible that you could do, do things like that already uh, back then. So um, that definitely has carried, I've carried that memory with me uh, as I've been getting interested in working on computers throughout my life. Yeah, no, I, th those are my, st those are the stories. Those, th that's the hook. And not everybody can, can make that happen at that earlier age. So that, that that's the kind of hooks you in. Did I hear you say, right, your dad was a, uh, your dad's a programmer? Yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, he was, when I was, uh, or some of my earliest memories with my dad were, you know, I would watch over his shoulder when he was programming Java. Um, he actually did a lot of consulting and, and training, uh, also overseas, um, of, of folks. Um, so he's been in and around computers for as long as I can remember. Uh, and so that's kind of how, how I got into computers is I was always shoulder surfing, watching him do things in Java, uh, which I didn't know anything about at the time, of course, but, you know, it was interesting to see the computer do things that, uh, you know, you could make computers do things rather. Uh, and, and that wasn't, you know, that wasn't the case necessarily when you're playing games. Uh, or things like that. So that was kind of what, what piqued my interest. I find that interesting uh, because I'm guessing he's working at home, like he's doing some remote work at home back at a time where the, the tooling and the facilities and the networks really weren't kind of in place for that, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was really, uh, it's, it's funny to think back that remote working is so big now because, uh, you know, as long as I can remember, almost as long as I can remember, he was almost always uh, telecommuting or remote working remotely. Um, and, but that wasn't, I, I didn't realize that wasn't commonplace at the time. Uh, I've kind of since then picked up on the fact that that was, that wasn't quite as common. Um, but, but now, you know, it's with the popularity and, and with of, of course all the tooling and equipment having gotten so good that that's actually possible. Um, so uh, it's, it's been interesting. Have you ever talked to him about that? Have you ever asked him, like, I guess they let him bring a computer home? I, have, did you ever have, because you're kind of in the same industry and you can really appreciate now looking, have you ever had those conversations with him and, and, and kind of asked him where his head was back in, the, in those times? No, not really, actually. It's, it's uh, I don't know. It, I just assumed it was normal. Uh, I guess now, knowing that what I know now, it probably would be worth a conversation, just like being like, hey, you know, that was kind of cutting edge in, the, in a way, right, considering where we are today. Um, but that's, you know, that's, it's fascinating because that's kind of how my family, um, both my older brother is also in, in, uh, in the industry, uh, and uh, my father, they both kind of worked that way for, for quite a while. So uh, in a lot of ways, I guess they were not trailblazing necessarily, but definitely on the pioneering side of things, uh, early, early adopters. Well, it would be nice to know how they were communicating with other team members if they were. were, were you, was it all phone call based? Were you using IRC? I, th those would be the interesting questions, right? Um, at least for me. Like, how were, were, maybe they were just solo and it didn't, none of it mattered. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I do know that my, my dad definitely spent a lot of time on the phone, a lot of, a lot of that. Um, and my older brother um, has been more so, he's been more in sort of the open source and community building side of things, contributing to projects. So it, definitely a lot of IRC. I, I have spent a fair bit of time in IRC working with him and, and other folks in the in the community. So, um, you know, it's it's bo both of them, both of you up. I guess. Yeah, I just, I just want to hear him. I want to be the fly on the wall when he says, you don't know how easy you've got it today. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so talk to me a little bit, because you said you grew up in Finland. Mm -hmm. That's and, right. yeah. you, and you, during those kind of formidable teenage years where you're, you've, you really have friends and relationships there and you're, you're thinking about life, right? I, those four years are, are an important four years from the time you start high school to the time you finish, you know, 14 through 17 through 18. Talk to me what's, what's going on. Why are you moving from Finland to the UK and then into the States? And talk to me a little bit about what's going on in your head, because that, that had to be a that has to be a tough time for someone that age, because you're starting over, you're starting over, you're starting over and you're and you're kind of. I mean, I'm not saying you couldn't have made friends, but you're kind of alone as you're bouncing. So I'd love you to just talk a little bit about those four years. Sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, so let's see. My parents decided, uh, I think it was around 2000, uh, that uh, it'd be great for the kids. So, so my myself and my younger brother and my younger sister um, to move abroad and, and uh, learn English a little bit better. So uh, the thing to note about Finland is we start learning uh, secondary languages pretty early. Um, you start with English and then you also pick up Swedish um, very early on. So, you know, elementary school. Um, so it's not like we hadn't done any education, but it's it's not, uh, it's British English for one. So <laughs> it's a little different, a uh, little bit of a different flavor. Um, and uh, it's you know, you, it's a lot of very academic English as opposed to like practical or very like pragmatic. So my my dad especially wanted us to wanted to make sure that we had a well-rounded uh, sort of experience around that. And so uh, my my dad and mom and dad decided to move us over to the UK. Um, so my dad worked at Nokia at the time, and and so they had a branch in in the UK in, in one of the suburbs of London. Um, or a little bit further away from London. And so we moved there. Um, were you against that? Were you at the time, can you remember, were you like, dad, I don't want to go or no, this is exciting. Cause I'm going to tell you this, you've got no accent, like no visible accent that you were, you grew up in, in Europe, right? Like I love meeting people. My, my wife who didn't start learning English until she got to the States when she was 22 or something, she really doesn't have any accent. I, I love this, man. I, I think this is like, it's cool when somebody can do that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't think they gave me much of a choice at the time, to be honest with you. Um, I, you know, initially, it, I, even once we got there, I was pretty hesitant because it was, uh, I mean, you know, we left all of our childhood friends behind. That was definitely a big, big deal. And, you know, you, you mentioned it's, those are the formative years. It definitely, I, I think it deeply influenced me in ways that I probably don't even realize today or haven't really internalized yet. Um, but you definitely, you know, you, you lose all of your childhood friends, friends at the, you know, in a mo moment, right. In an instant. And that's, that's, uh, that's pretty rough. Um, so 
but we didn't have a choice really. So in the matter, so we moved, of course, um, started school there. It, you know, the English school system is very different from Finnish. Uh, you wear a school uniform for one. That was, that was an interesting experience. Um, it, it's, and they approach education slightly different for, differently, uh, from, from the Finnish system. Um, it's a lot more structured than I think I was used to, uh, in some ways. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it was challenging. It, definitely in the beginning it was challenging. Uh, and, and we were outsiders. So naturally, uh, you know, we got, we got bullied. We didn't, we didn't really fit in, in a lot of ways. We, you know, I think at the time my accent definitely stood out <laughs> to the locals. Uh, um, but I, you know, slowly, uh, or the, I think we stayed there for two and a half years, uh, for a couple of school years, basically. Um, we, you know, I was able to make friends, uh, both locals and then other immigrants. Um, and so, I, you know, by the end of it, I think we were actually settled in quite well, um, to the point that my, my younger sister actually has moved back to UK, uh, and, and she, she loves it there. So, um, definitely nothing wrong with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, a. So, so you settle in, you finally making friends, you're finally, you finally got yourself in a, in a rhythm and a routine. You're not rebelling anymore. I'm sure you were just rebelling a little bit at the time. Like I, I would have for sure. And then they're like, okay, now that you're all settled in here, we're moving again. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what happened is in, in the UK, they have, a, like a standardized, uh, testing. Um, I forget what the, well, so the name of it is GCSE. Uh, I forget what the GCSE stands for, but it's like a, it's like they're um, like a, going from middle school to high school exams or, or something along those lines, um, graduation. Uh, and, and so I had to take those, uh, having been in the country for two years, uh, and I had to take those at the end of my school year, uh, the second school year. And so that was, uh, again, an interesting experience that I wouldn't have expected to have had, but had that opportunity. Um, and then, um, you know, the summer of 20, I think it was 2001, 2000, no, I think it's 2002, uh, we decided, uh, to actually move back to Finland, uh, as a family, uh, I might've been something to do with my dad's job moving around or, or they closed an office over there or something like that. Uh, but we relocated back to Finland, uh, uh to Helsinki. And so my brother and I, my sister, all of us went to like an international school, actually, because at the time, at that point, we had uh, kind of fallen behind on the Finnish curriculum enough to make it kind of a challenge to, to go back to the, if you will, normal school, so to speak, because we, we weren't, you know, speaking Swedish, uh, for example, or learning Swedish. Uh, obviously, our English was pretty good at the t at that point, uh, but our, our Finnish and our Swedish were a couple of years behind from, from where you, you were expected to be. Uh, had you been in Finland the whole time. So we ended up going to an uh, international school where the primary language was actually uh, English. Um, and that was a good experience, honestly. I really enjoyed that because you, we had a lot of international students there, people from all over the world. Uh, and, and so we could continue to kind of make friends in, in, uh, in who had similar shared experiences, I guess you could say. Um, Everybody was a foreigner, so nobody was really like bullying each other, I imagine, at that point. Like everybody was in the same boat. Yeah, that's right. So that was really, uh, I mean, there's a lot of Finnish people there who might have also had a similar experience where they had moved abroad and then came back and they had a little bit of a hard time getting back into the 
uh, standard uh, school system or a standard school, I guess. Um, so this was a really good school for that. And we made tons of friends uh, from all over the world uh, in that school. So that was that was a lot of fun. Um, but but definitely you noticed that you had kind of fallen behind on certain things like definitely my you know finish was not as good as it uh, should have been at that point or my Swedish. I mean, that was just not non-existent at the point at that point. Um, but um, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I definitely enjoyed that and it, it gave me a different perspective. Except you're only there for a year, right? Because then you're, you're this is amazing to me. I, I, so you're there like a year and then your parents are like, guess what? At this point, you're just used to it. Are you numb to it at this point? I mean, at this point, also, you're 16. Like now you could really fight, uh, fight this. So what, what happens when they say we're going to the States? So I, I was actually really excited about the opportunity of going to the States. Um, you know, you obviously watch a lot of TV and shows and you kind of see what it's like or you think, oh, that's like that. It's like that in the States. And of course, it's nothing like that. in States. <laughs> uh, but it was it was a good it was fun uh, to kind of think of the think of being able to go there and kind of experience States firsthand. And so I was actually really excited uh, for that move. Um, and, and, you know, by that point, we hadn't we had kind of lost contact with some of our childhood friends and we weren't. I mean, we were still in touch, but we weren't as good friends or as close as we were previous to moving uh, to the UK. And so that really helped um, in terms of motivating us to move uh, to the States uh, or stateside. Um, and so at, when, when they said we we're going to move the States to kind of continue that learning, uh, uh, learning, you know, making sure that we're, we've got English as our sort of a strong, one of the two strong languages that we can speak fluently. Um, I was really excited by that. I think my Younger siblings, maybe less so. Um, I think they were starting to make friends again in, in school and they were hoping to kind of be able to continue those relationships for a little bit longer. But um, unfortunately for them, I suppose, my parents had some other plans uh, for for us. And, and uh, it turned out to be a really good good thing though. I, obviously I'm here now. So, um, you know, I, I really appreciated that. So um, we actually moved to, so again, at the time my dad was still working at Nokia and so Nokia had a headquarters in Irving, Texas. Um, and so we moved to uh, moved to Texas um, and I went to high school uh, here uh, or, or I guess there it's in the Dallas area. Uh, so locally. So let me ask you a question, because you're, you're basically how many years of U.S. high school did you do to graduate? Was it just one year or was it they made you do two? Because you got to like, what is that? Because. Did they give you exams? Did they try to figure out where you were in terms of? Yeah, so that's a great question. So what, uh, and it's actually kind of funny when you move from country to country, it's really hard to line up the educational systems in terms of like how far you progressed. Um, so my my uh, father was actually really, uh, he, he was able to, I guess you could call it negotiate with the school to put me in my senior year. Um, I think from an age perspective, I should have actually been in the junior year. And, and some of my friends who I later on met uh, were, were actually in the junior year, even though they were the same age as I was. So technically I got a year ahead. And I think it was largely due to the fact that a lot of the subjects that they were teaching, a lot of the material they were teaching in high school in the US, uh, I had already done uh, like a couple of years prior. So uh, like, for example, the math that they were teaching was um, felt like it was the math that I was doing like in my first year of uh, Finnish uh, high school. Uh, and so uh, it felt like I was like almost 
like they were behind in, in a way, but not really, right? It was just the different pacing of the educational systems and that's that's fine. Right? Obviously there's also, if you take different classes of AP math or other uh, other like more advanced math, that's more in line with what I was doing. Um, so that, I think ultimately that ended up being the reason why I, I got put into the senior, into senior year. So I, I completed, my first year in high school in the US was senior year and um, I, you know, that's a little bit of a weird year to come into as your last year, as your only year of high school. Um, so uh, definitely not a, not your average high school experience, I suppose, but it was good. Um, you know, again, I initially definitely struggled a little bit to kind of find my footing and figure out how I fit into the school and everything. Uh, but but I was kind of slowly but surely able to make friends and, and kind of figure out how everything worked. Did you play sports at all? Did you end up playing sports or doing any sort of activity, even though that was only going to be one year of experience that you had there? Uh, unfortunately, not. No, I didn't really get that part done. Um, I did, you know, attend a lot of the a lot of the football games, of course, and things like that. Um, you know, that was uh, our school was pretty good at uh, the state football. I guess uh, placed pretty well. And oh yeah, Texas high school football Friday nights. Yeah, yeah. What, was that wild to you? Was that because? Even, I mean, I grew up in New York and I'm here in Florida and, and in Florida we have a little bit of it. But when you, when you see it in a Texas perspective, that Friday night football game, it's, it's, monu it's, it's, almost, it's like the level of soccer in Europe, right? Was it a little mind-blowing to you, the, the amount of, what is the word I'm looking for, like energy, energy. and everything around that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, 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 was, it is. It's, I, I think it's incredible. Honestly, I'm, I'm really happy. That they're it's it's great to see that the young athletes are getting that level of attention and, and really getting like that energy. I think it goes a long way as as uh, as any kind of an athlete, honestly. So um, I I think that's that's great. Um, I I did it, I did it was a little overwhelming uh, when when you go to your first game and you're like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> what is this? Um, but but it was it was good. It was a it was an interesting introduction to the sport of American football for sure. Um, it, uh, and I, I, I mean, honestly, I, I think high school games are just a ton of fun. They're they're fun to go watch. And, and if you had started as a freshman, do you think you would have tried out for football? I mean, you couldn't have done it your senior year at this point. But that's a good question. I so uh, it's it's actually interesting. I when I was in in the UK, I actually played rugby. Uh, I did participate in the rugby team over there. Uh, so I, I think I would have probably wanted to try out. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure I would have been any good because I've obviously not played American football for any part of my life really. Uh, so I'm not sure if how well rugby might have translated over, but maybe there were positions where I could have actually uh, held my own or been, been part of the team. Oh, the American footballs originates from rugby and, and, and you being tough enough to play rugby, I think you would have been, you would have found it, they would have found you a place on that, whatever that position was, I don't know, but they would, they would have found it. Okay, so that's cool. Okay, so, so, now, I'm, now what's interesting to me is you're bouncing around the planet between these, these years of like 14, 17. Um, you're moving as your dad is moving, and it sounds like his motivation to move isn't his personal advancement. It's more, let me get my kids prepared for what I know is happening in the world today, which is beautiful. What are you thinking after high school, because at that point, I have to imagine you're, you're almost feeling like I'm going to be free from a little bit of this chaos that I'm in, having to bounce around. I won't have to necessarily move again if dad and mom want to move somewhere. W what are you thinking is your next step 
especially now as you're in the in the U.S. Are you thinking university? Because I know in the U.S. at that maybe ten years earlier than that, university was like it was a military or university basically. For whatever reason, trade school was for the and I'll never understand this in my lifetime. The trade school was for the kids that didn't do well in high school, which is insane because. Um, not only is that a great job to get into trade, right? Like it's not necessarily less complicated <laughs> than going to university, right? So I, I'm kind of curious, where's your head now that you're in the States? What are you thinking about after high school? So after high school, um, you know, I, I did go down the, I guess, the very traditional route of going to university. Um, I started university uh, right after um, I will say, like thinking back or looking back on that, I, I have to say that I wasn't ready for university at the time. I, I was too immature. I think um, I, you know, I spent. Uh, so what happened was I started university. Uh, my my parents actually split up at the time, uh, so they they uh, ended up living in different parts of Texas. Uh, my dad in Dallas, my my mom in uh, Austin, actually, um, and so I. I you know, myself and my siblings split time between between the two. What's the distance between those two cities? Is that like a half an hour or an hour? I, I don't know enough about Texas that they're in these two major cities and you're splitting time. Like, it's uh, it's about uh, I'd say three to three and a half hours of driving. Um, so it's it's not you know terrible, but it is pretty significant in that you don't see both of them in the same day necessarily. <laughs> Right, right. If you're you're not splitting time on a weekly basis at that point. No, no, it wasn't on a weekly basis. It's, it was, you know, we. So my brother and I lived with our dad, and and my sister lived with my mom, and so we would, uh, when it was holidays, we, you know, switch between them. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. 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 That's that. That makes more sense to me. Where, where did you apply to university? Were, were you thinking since I'm in Irvine already? You went to school. You went to school there. Yeah, so uh, I was I was definitely looking local. Um, I you know I was still not comfortable enough to kind of go out of state or anything like that. I you know it was all very sudden for me uh, because I only had a year of high school. I you know I had to do SATs in high school while I was there, and it was just like what what am I doing here? Uh, what is this exam? Um, didn't I just do GCSEs? Um, so. Um, and I'd, I'd say I did okay in SATs. I was definitely not like the top of the top or anything like that. I was probably pretty average in, in a lot of ways. I'm sure you had a hard time on the language, the reading vocabulary side, right? Because you just didn't have enough time to learn. Yeah, there's definitely some, some uh, quite a bit of uh, material there at the time that I just wasn't familiar with. Like I, I did start study for it, but you know, it wasn't really, it didn't get me to the point where somebody might have been who spent their entire life here uh necessarily but but i'd say overall i think i did better on the math side of things than i did on the on the language side of things um and so you know i i looked at a few options um i i was really wanting to go to ut austin at the time but i i didn't feel like i was good enough for ut austin so i ended up actually going to ut arlington uh, locally in, in the uh in the dallas area um, and and it, cause it had sort of the degrees I wanted to do. It had computer science. It had business. Um, it's interesting. I actually ended up going down the road of uh, business instead of uh, computer science because I didn't want to continue to do more math. 
uh, a calculus and, and things like that. And so, um, and I felt like a business degree would actually serve me pretty well, having been sort of self-taught on the computer side of things. Uh, so I, I felt like I would actually get more out of the business program than I would from the computer science, which is probably not true, but you know, um, at the time it seemed like a really good choice. Were you doing, we haven't explored this piece, but, and I've been so interested in, in you bouncing around a little bit, but were you doing any form of programming in that 2002, 2004? Were you building websites? Were you interested at all? Like, what were you doing that then shaped this idea that, I almost get a sense that you were like, I'm going to university because that's what I have to do. Maybe I want to do some computer science. I don't know. Maybe I want to do better. I, I, I don't even figure it out. I'll figure it out there. But were you doing anything technical at all prior to, to making that jump? Yeah, yeah, actually I was. Um, I had uh, I'd made some uh, other Finnish friends through the network of Finnish people in the Dallas area. And uh, we, uh, actually a friend of mine was also a programmer. Um, he was doing, uh, you know, little side hustles here and there in PHP. Uh, I mean, being in high school, he was a couple of years younger than I was. Uh, you know, we we're just uh, goofing around with PHP and, and kind of learning uh, how to interact with databases and, and, you know, build actual sites and, and, you know, CMSs as you do, you know, kind of like the trial by fire. Let's, let's see how, how, uh, how these things work. Um, and so we were definitely, uh, goofing around, uh, and, and kind of learning things, but not really, nothing really serious. You know, we didn't build any kind of like a company or anything like that. He, he was very, a lot more entrepreneurial at the time than I was for sure. He, he had, uh, you know, he had a couple of small businesses that he tried to kind of do on the side uh, while he was in high school and, and kind of had all sorts of uh, things going on. So definitely learned learned a lot from him and, and kind of picked up on some of the things that he was doing um, that got me really interested in, uh, even more interested in programming than I perhaps was previous to that. Whose computer were you using for this? I imagine your dad did not allow you on his machine because he needed it for work. So... Right. Did yeah. you have your own machine at that point? Was it a family machine? Where were you doing this learning and, and uh, programming? I think it was in, in when I got to U.S. in high school, I actually started uh, building my own computers uh, from parts, um, which, you know, I've done that since then. Uh, and I will say that that has gotten a lot easier than it was <laughs> from what I remember. Uh, but I, I definitely was building my own computers. You know, I, I was pretty heavily into video games at the time as well, for sure. Um, that I think that was an aspect that came from, well, I guess growing up, we had always had video games. So that was one. And actually, is it actually interesting? I learned a lot of my English originally uh, reading, I guess, from video games. Uh, I was playing some, some games that were like story-based. And so you'd pick up a lot of English words from that. Um, and worse the, to this day that I've, uh, well, maybe not at this point, but worse that I hadn't heard anybody use because they were kind of so, you know, obtuse or not really common uh, words. And so it was interesting, like, you know, all these words that people, other people would know because they, they just weren't commonplace at all. Um, but anyway, so I was, uh, you know, I was building computers. And so I had my own computer that I had built uh, that I used for playing games, but also uh, for learning programming and things like that. So you're leaving high school, you're interested in the programming, but I wonder if your friend kind of influenced you a little bit on this idea of the business side. Like, it sounds like you weren't thinking about necessarily ever 
we all have to start off working for someone, but it sounds like this person kind of also got you interested in the idea of being an entrepreneur and running your own business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, everything I'd known up to that point was pretty much, uh, you know, my dad working for a big company. Nokia is obviously kind of a, or was at the time anyway. I, was, I guess they still are to some extent, a global company. Um, and so that was sort of all I knew. Um, and, and so uh, that was kind of the path that I was on, I think, up until that point. And then having met up with my friend and, and kind of spending a lot of time with him and, and kind of looking at what he was doing, uh, it got me, it kind of opened up my eyes in a way that, you know, there's all these other opportunities, all these other things you could do. Like I kind of knew that United States for, uh, in a lot of ways was kind of the land of opportunity. Um, and, and so, you know, if I had spent more time being a little bit introspective, I guess, or looking, looking around, I think I might've picked up on that, but I hadn't really internalized it, uh, until I started working with my friend on, and all these little projects that he was doing. Um, and, and so that got me really interested in like the entrepreneurial side of things where it's like, oh, you can start something from scratch and, and kind of actually make it work. That's, that's a little bit of like kind of amazing. So in those four years at university, I, I guess 2004, maybe through 2008, you, you end up with, you end up graduating with that business degree. Like, what, what did you end up having in terms of degrees after those four years? Sure. So, you know, it'd be, it would be too easy for me to have taken a straight path to the university, <laughs> of course. Um, what I actually ended up doing is, uh, I think I spent, I want to say two years in total in the university um, before um, I just got to a point where, or my brother and I uh, got to a point where we actually wanted to move back to Finland. Um, so the thing to know about Finland is uh, Finland has uh, uh, what's called conscription, I think it is. Uh, so it's a mandatory military service that everyone uh, between the ages of 18 and 29 have to go through at some point. And um, if you're living in Finland, if you're living abroad, you can actually ask them to defer it uh, or you can basically ask them to defer it until you're no longer eligible uh, for it, uh, especially if you're going through like studies or other things like that. Um, so, um, you know, at the time I was, I think it was 20, 21, something like that. Uh, so we decided to move back to Finland. And I decided I'd just go do my military service, get it out of the, out of the way. Um, I just felt like it was, it was the right thing to do. It was the thing that was expected from everyone. And so I, I was like, fine, I'll just do that. You know, I, I could use a little break from, from university. So you still, you still felt in your heart that you were a citizen of that country first and foremost. So Absolutely. you wanted to do your civic duty. Now, straight up question, right? You're, you're, you're doing two years of university. And then you decide, no, I want to go back and do this. Are, are, are you struggling at university? Is it not going well? And you're just like, I have to do something different. And so I want to take, do you look at this as some time off? This, this is how I'm going to get time off to figure out really what I want to do. And I'll, at the same time, kill these two birds with one stone. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, there's definitely a little bit of that. I, I think going back to what I said earlier, you know, I, I definitely wasn't mature enough to be in university. I, I don't think I did, took it seriously enough. Um, you know, I was able to perform, but I wasn't really spending the time I should have been spending in my studies. Uh, you know, I was doing a lot of other things, uh, not studying. Um, and so I felt like a, some little bit of gap time would, would be helpful for me. Um, and so, uh, you know, we go back, 
um, in, in 2006, uh, I think it was. Um, the way it works, unfortunately, is that uh, you have, there's like cohort, it's cohorts based. So you have like a spring and winter cohort, or is it spring and summer cohorts? Um, anyway, so I go back and, and I uh, interviewed with them, or I had kind of had like the interview process where they figure out where they where they place you basically. Um, and, and so it turns out that I, they wouldn't be able to place me until a little bit later. Uh, I think it, I had to wait an extra year for me to get placed into the, uh, into the battalion that I was supposed to be part of. Um, and so, uh, what ended up happening is I went to actually work for my older brother. So my older brother, um, at the time had a, had a, had a consulting company, um, that was doing, uh, actually things in PHP in a, in a custom technology stack that they had built. Um, and, and so we were doing consulting work for, uh, basically building intranets and, and other, um, things like that for, uh, large Finnish, large Finnish, uh, companies, uh, including Nokia actually. Um, and so I went to work for him as a consultant, <laughs> fresh out of school, not really knowing anything about the world. Um, but, but, um, you know, picked up pretty quickly. I was, uh, sort of as an apprentice or shadow for some of the older, uh, consultants there and, and learned a lot in the process. So, so a couple, a couple of things, how much older is your brother? Is he, he, it sounds like he's got maybe 10 years on you. Yeah. He's, uh, what the, I think it's seven years, he's seven years. Yeah. And he's had this he's, and he established this business that's, Brilliant. Are you living with him too? Or he was like, no, here's a salary. Go find a place to live. How's that working? So I was actually living with my younger brother. Um, so yeah, he, he, you know, he paid me a decent salary. Uh, and so I ended up uh, renting an apartment with my younger brother. Um, and, and we're living somewhere in Helsinki, in the Helsinki area. Gotcha. But you're doing web development, it sounds like. You're doing PHP web development building is it are you building product or are you working is it staff augmentation for clients or are you building product it, it was uh so it was internal websites um and and some public websites as well um we definitely launched a few um you know looking back it's interesting that we were allowed to work on the things that we were allowed to work on uh we launched some pretty major things uh in in finland um and even actually globally uh that that i'm kind of surprised that we had the opportunities to work on so Needless to say, we had a really good salesperson working working on at the company, uh, and my brother is also uh, really good at that as well. So they're very good at convincing folks to let us do what we're doing. And I mean, we did their did a good job, but it was just thinking back, the things that I had the opportunity to work on at that company were kind of mind blowing opportunities that I wouldn't have expected with someone with my experience to have had the opportunity to work on. Uh, do you feel, did you feel, because this is where all the nepotism comes in, right? Did, did you feel, did people around you feel like you were only there because of that? Did any of that play a role? Did it put more pressure on you to come to work every day and, and perform? Or that none of that was an issue? No, I think it was, I, I, I didn't really pick up on that. I never felt that way. I, I you know, maybe naively I thought I was always pulling my weight, so I didn't really pay attention to that. Uh, I'm sure that could have been a part of it, but uh, you know, none of the folks that I work with uh, kind of gave me that indication. Everyone was really welcoming and really supportive, um, always helping me figure things out that I couldn't figure out on my own. Uh, so I was really welcomed with an open arms and, and kind of had the 
uh, mentorship and support of, of the entire company and all the other consultants there um, as well. So it was it was really welcoming environment. It was really one of my favorite places to have worked at. I, I, I just always have questions on the social aspects of it. Were your parents happy, okay with you going back? Um, I guess working for your brother helped a little bit, but your dad at least was so focused on you getting the English and, and getting that experience that you go back. I don't know if I would have felt at the time like, oh, I did all this to have him here and now he's going back, like what's going on? Did, did you ever have that conversation with him? Did he ever feel like, son, don't go backwards. If you go back, it's not. I think, you know, I think they both understood why I felt obligated to go back. Um, I think it's pretty well understood and ingrained in the Finnish um, sort of upbringing and culture that it is everyone's civic duty to uh, do what I was doing. Um, so I, I never got any pushback for that. Uh, I think there's always that hope that we'd come back. And I, I, you know, thinking back, I think I gave them the impression that, you know, I wasn't leaving for good, but it was like, I needed a break. I, I just needed to take some time for myself and do something, you know, experience some things on my own. Like, this is really the first time I'm kind of breaking off away from my parents and away from my family, you know, uh, that I had spent up to this point most of my life with or my entire life with. Um, but it was an opportunity for me to kind of do something on my own, be a little bit more independent. Um, and I think they understood that. It's it, the, you know, upbringing in Finland, kids are pretty independent. Like I, I think my parents, had, by, the, by the time I, by the age I was at that point, uh, I think they had had more sort of independence to them, to themselves than I had. So I think they understood uh, and I, I definitely gave them the indication that I wasn't, you know, just leaving the U.S. to leave the U.S., that I actually intended to come back. Um, but it was just that I needed some time for myself to kind of take a break. And I, I think they recognized that I might have been too early for university at the time. So they seemed to seemed to be, I mean, they were very supportive of me doing that. So you do, you work a year with your brother, and now you get into this cohort. You do two years um, with the, with the, what is it? I want to say military, but is it the, what's the word to use? Sure. Yeah. So it is uh, Finnish defense forces. Uh, so it is the military, uh, local military. And, and actually, so what you do is it's uh, between six to 12 months, depending on whether you are, uh, you know, whether you become an officer or not. Um, so I, you know, I started in the uh, summer cohort and I spent six months doing that. They tried to convince me to become an officer, but I told them like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I I had tasted what it's like to have a job, actually get paid in real money. And, and as you can imagine, the military does not pay you in real money. <laughs> they give you a couple, you know, it's like 10 bucks a day, I think is what the compensation is. But they're feeding you, they're housing you, they're clothing you. <laughs> they give you meaningful work. Yeah, 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 yeah for, for sure, all of that. Um, no, I mean, that is that is true, that is true. And, I, you know, it, thinking back, it was, I, I do wonder what it, what life could have been like if I had actually decided to spend the extra six months going through the officer school. But ultimately, I decided not to do that. Um, I, you know, I felt like I should go back to doing consulting because it was paying pretty well for at the time for, for what so I was wait, doing. So you were only there for six months? Mm-hmm. That's right. Did yeah, you, it's only did six you, months. Did, okay. So you waited a year to do the six months. Was there ever a moment where you were lying in bed going, what? the heck am I doing here? And what was I smoking? <laughs> Did that ever like happen? 
while I was in the military? Yeah, for those six months. Um, I think they uh, they occupy your schedule pretty well, so you don't really have time to think a whole lot. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I I never felt that. I I I I went into it thinking or not really knowing what to expect. I had, I mean, you, you can talk to any, any, uh, pretty much any Finnish person, uh, male, um, and, and they'll, they'll be able to tell you a little bit about their experience, even though there are some alternatives to, to the military service as well. Um, and so I had talked to a bunch of, especially with the group of folks that I was, you know, when I was consulting, uh, I talked to the different consultants there and everybody had a different perspective, um, uh, kind of in terms of, it, it was all positive. For the yeah, most yeah, part. Okay. It was all um, positive. So yeah, it, it, there's a lot of camaraderie, you know, it's, it's, you, you come in, you have a batch of folks who are all in the same, <laughs> same situation, let's just say. Uh, so you build a lot of good friendships uh, out of that. And so I think that's really what helps you get through it. Honestly, is, is just the camaraderie and the friendships you build while you're there. Um, I definitely made some really good friends uh, out of that experience. And so um it never got me thinking like, what, what the heck am I doing there? I mean, there were definitely some hard days for sure. Uh, especially, uh, uh, given my chosen branch or, or what I specialized in. Um, but, um, it never made me feel like it was a mistake or that I regretted it or anything like that. It was just, it was just, you felt like you were just getting through it, you know, as you were just working through it, it's, it's hard. But, uh, you know, like, as they like to say is the last easy day was yesterday. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's just hard, but it's, it's, you're there, you have a purpose, you have a reason to be there. Um, and you're just kind of working through it. So, and looking back on it now, is it, can you describe it as the best time you never want to have again? Cause you have these <laughs> moments like this, that was the best time I never want to have again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that. So it, it's interesting. I go back and forth on that because um, they. So if you're if you're in Finland, they do call you back every couple of years to kind of uh, re up and kind of as a reserve. You're you're basically serve as a reserve. So they they want to make sure you're kind of understand how to still do what you were trained to do, um, and whenever new equipment is being brought in or things like that, they're usually training people on that as well. So. Um, I, I would go back. I think I would go back, gladly actually go back and, and do a couple of weeks of retraining. Um, it, it didn't, I never felt like it was like bad or it's like harsh or anything like that. I, I quite enjoyed it, honestly. Um, it was nice to have somebody else tell you what to do every moment of, of your day. It was very, not have to think about it at all. It's like, oh, you're like, you start 5 a.m. and you're done at, you know, 6, 7 p.m. and, and you kind of but is it is it all physical training? Is it all PT, or are you doing anything technical over those six months? Uh, just a, a generalize that six months. Sure. So there's there's basically uh, three. It's broken down. The six months is broken down to three different uh, training periods. So you have your basic training, uh, which is the same for everyone, no matter what you're deciding to do. Uh, that's the first two months, is roughly. Uh, and that's where they kind of assess your skills in terms of like what kinds of things you could be specializing in. Like they initially place you in a group of some some battalion or as part of a, some larger group. Um, and then, but during the training period, they actually kind of figure out what you're made of and what they could potentially put you into. 
Um, so then following the two months of uh, basic training, you uh, get your spe uh, specialization training for, I think it is for the next two months or two and a half months, uh, where where you're hone, honing on your, like the thing that you're actually going to be doing in the military. And so I was in reconnaissance. And so I spent uh, the next two months or so uh, training like reconnaissance skills. And then the last uh, two months or maybe it's six weeks, um, you uh, train as part of the larger battalion that you're going to be serving in. Uh, and so you do a lot of exercises. It culminates into like a, an exercise where you bring the entire battalion and, and other battalions from around Finland to train together into like a, a, a mock war kind of example where you're basically doing what you're supposed to do in a, in a if things go really poorly situation. Right. When was the last time Finland was, is it World War II? The last time you had a real... I, I feel like in the U.S. we're constantly on the edge of wanting to have a war with someone. So here it's like if you if your kid's going to go into the military, I feel like it's always this, you know, they're going to put them on the front line next week because we're going to have this this problem with another. But like in Finland, I is that just like two minutes? I'm just curious what 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 the attitude is around like Finland going to war. So to not beat around the bush too much. Uh, we share our eastern border with Russia. So um, that is, I would say, the main motivator for, for why the conscription needs to exist. Um, but, you know, we, I think we try to exhaust every possible avenue for a peaceful resolution, any kind of like political resolution, um, you know, I, I don't, or diplomatic resolution rather. Um, I don't think there's any appetite for anyone to to have another war. The last time, like you said, the last time we had we were in a, in any kind of a war was in World War Two. Uh, I mean, we do. Um, Finland does send uh, you know uh, NATO? some of the folks from the yeah. Oh, no, we're not members of the NATO, but we do oh. send uh, peacekeepers. Peacekeepers. Peace, that's what I meant. We, UN. Um, UN. Yeah. UN, UN, UN. And, and then uh, we actually, when there's the evacuation in Afghanistan, uh, was it last year? Um, Finland actually did send some of our special forces there um, to to help with that. Gotcha. Oh, I didn't realize this is U.S. Geog U.S. education on geography is not. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize you're bordering Russia, right? And, and right now we're in a time where it's all uh, like Russia's in the news every week. So yeah, no. So I can appreciate that. I want to get us now. You, you finish your six months. Do you go back to work with your brother? Now we're talking what? We're talking it's 2000 and, well, what was it, 2008 when you finish your, your, yep, your time? Yep. Yep. So I guess you decide you're going to go back to work with your brother. You're, you're going to stay in Finland? Yeah, so I went back um, for another, I think it was maybe a year and a half, um, back to consulting. You know, it was the, at that point, it was the thing that I knew. I was comfortable doing. Uh, I had kind of figured out how to do it well, how to how to kind of do the job, and and um, kind of graduated to be a little bit more senior than or I shouldn't say senior, but like mid level consultant, not no longer the the new guy in the room, so to speak. Like I I knew how to interact with clients, how to work with clients, um, and I actually had a few clients that were kind of my where I was the primary consultant uh, that would go over there and, and kind of accomplish things. So I had taken over a few clients from some of the other consultants that had uh, we had grown the business and had new clients come in. And so, um, you know, it's a really good, good kind of an experience because you're very independent on those engagements. A lot of times you kind of make the decisions, you work with the sales 
the salesperson to kind of determine what the client's needs are, and then you estimate the project and, and kind of work through it. So uh, you're acting like an entrepreneur. I mean, this is kind of what you wanted from the beginning of the university side. You're getting that entrepreneurial experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was, you know, it was really, in a lot of ways, very formative around my own kind of thinking into entrepreneurship. I mean, uh, it definitely helped me. The other thing I, I think I really understood out of that was, or what I came to realize by the end of it, and part of the reason why I kind of left uh, was I really wanted to have something of my own. I wanted to build something of my own. One of the challenges that I found in consulting is that, you know, you you do all this work, but at the end of it, it it's none of it is like, you're not responsible for any of it per se long-term. And it's not really like, you also don't get any of the benefits of it, of course, in some ways. And so, um, you know, I kind of wanted to build something of my own. Um, and that, that was like a feeling that started to creep up in my in the back of my mind as I was working through all this, uh, doing all these engagements. Did you have this conversation with your brother at all? As you, Because you're working for him, right? I mean, and he's already done this. He's successful. Let's just say that he built a successful business. Did you have these conversations with him? Like, you know, I want to do the same thing. I, I want to do this on my own. You know, I think we may have in passing had that conversation um, that, but it wasn't, I, I don't think I'd fully realized that in that, that was exactly what I wanted to do long-term, but, but it was definitely like, this helped me understand the difference between like owning the software that you're working on versus just doing this for somebody else. Uh, it, like I, I, you know, being on the driver's seat of, so, of the destiny of where that software is going to go versus, you know, letting somebody else be completely kind of, uh, the, uh, the determining person. So you're getting a taste for wanting to have your own product, it sounds like, really, here. This is now, I just don't want to do this with somebody else. I want to do this for my own product. And, and, and okay. So how much longer do you work for your brother, and what do you do next? Sure. So I, uh, I think I was there for a year and a half after, um, after I had finished my service, um, and... So then, you know, I, at that point, I felt like I was, I'd matured a little bit. And so I decided I wanted to go back states, to states and, and actually finish my studies, get my university degree. Because um, that was like knowing, at the back of my mind, that was one of the things that was kind of like e eating away at, at me a little bit. It's like I had started this degree, but I hadn't finished it. I don't like starting things and not finishing them, I guess, is what I learned out of that. Um, and so... But is it is it that you started and didn't finish it, or did you? F I could say this at least from the U.S. side of things: the pressure to have the degree. I mean, we're talking about eight, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Was there maybe in the back of your head this pressure, like if I don't get the degree, I'm not going to be able to do? Whether that's true or not is irrelevant. But to do the things that I want to do. Uh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> the funny thing. So, um, in Finland, uh, there's. I would say it's even more expected in, in to have a degree, right? Like people are almost like overqualified for the jobs that they have or that they do. Uh, it, it's uh, it's because uh, it, the educational system is a little bit different in there that um, it, it you don't um, you have to take entrance examination to make it to schools, right? To to be able to go study something. Uh, and so, uh, it, but it's all paid for basically by the government, right? By the taxes. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different approach, 
Um, and so there's a lot of people who kind of get multiple, potentially multiple degrees or get really far down the line in terms of like their education. And so everyone's pretty highly educated in that regard uh, because of that. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a really strong expectation for you to definitely have a degree. And I think that's part of the culture uh, similar to. Yeah, it's culture. It sounds cultural. Like this is expected from citizens that can pass these exams to, to get the education, which is, I think, great for the country, right? The more educated everybody is, the better things should be. So, yeah, so you decide you're going to go back to the States and finish that degree. Where do you decide to go? Because you got to live somewhere. Right. So so then I had actually, in, during my time in the military, I'd actually met my wife. Um, and so, um, you know, we before we left... Um, uh, before we left Finland, we actually got engaged, um, and and then we decided to move together. And she had never spent any time outside of Finland, really, and so it was kind of a for her. As I was going to ask you that, I was going to ask you that how much experience, and it's my experience that it's hard for, in general, hard for women to leave their moms and their families. So um, it's a big step for someone you know, to make that kind of move if they have no experience. So was she, was she hesitant? Was she excited? I think it was a little bit of a mix of both. Uh, I think she was really excited at the prospect of trying something new, completely new. Uh, but definitely there's that aspect of like, well, is my English going to be good enough to really blend in? Is it, you know, am I going to be able to fit in and kind of figure things out? And, and so, you know, I told her that I'll be there every step of the way to support her and, and make sure that we were able to, together be successful. Um, so what we ended up doing is we actually moved uh, back to States and I went to live with my my dad for, for a little bit um, before we could kind of stand on our two feet. Um, and so, um, you know, we I think we spent maybe a year with my dad before we were able to kind of figure out how to live on our own, how to kind of get, get things moving. But did you jump into university that, ye that first year? And I imagine are you doing it full time? Is it part time? You have to work, right? You have to make some money. So, yeah. So, um, so I was uh, fortunate enough to actually be supported by both of my parents uh, financially to to be able to kind of pay my way through the school uh, or pay for the school rather. Um, and so um, it was full time. Uh, and and I was actually at that point I was on a on a, a student visa. Both my wife and I were on student visas, so we had to maintain full-time status uh, working uh, or doing uh, school. school. So yeah. she went to school so, too. She ended yeah, up going yeah. to school. Okay, great. Yeah. So we both started school and, and we're doing that full-time. And so Was it the same university? So your credits were all still good or did you choose a different university? Right. So my dad was still in the Dallas area, so I was able to go back to that same school, uh, which really helped. I was just kind of... I'm sure they were a little surprised, be like, wait, you're coming back and you're just continuing off where you left for like four years ago or three years ago, whatever it was at that point. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's not quite as if I had nothing had happened. I had just left off. It was definitely a little bit different. But I I would say I had gained a lot of perspective in that, uh, you know, couple previous couple of years working as a consultant and then going through the to through the uh, military service. So what degree did you end up with? Did you, did you do the uh, entrepreneurial degree? Did you do the computer? Oh, okay. Did you do anything minor in computer science? Are you programming during this time too? Or you let your skills just fall? 
Right. So yeah, I um, so I uh, I ended up doing a business uh, business degree with uh, like information systems as my sort of focus or, or specialization. So kind of a mix of business with computers. Uh, not not full on like a computer science degree, but but there's you know an aspect of programming definitely happening in the background and, and other things like that, networking as well. Um, and so I, I did that. I I had been I had maintained like when I got to the consulting job, I was you know programming every you know twelve hours a day basically, and so I had kind of maintained that and I had continued that on my own, kind of just dabbling in open source and, and other things like that. And I'd really gotten, so the, uh, the uh, consulting job, you know, it was all based around open source software that the company had built. Uh, and so I, I got comfortable sort of contributing to open source through that. And then so I had continued even after I had stopped working there, uh, kind of dabbling in the open source space. And I had gotten a little bit into Python, you know, towards the end of my time there, they had actually started introducing Python into the stack. Uh, for certain clients and certain projects. And so I I started picking up Python and kind of started, continued my dabbling in, in the Python space and got into actually Django uh, and some of the other sort of interesting projects in that uh, area. And your wife, what did, what did your wife study? Was she also technical? Did she do that? No, she, she actually focused on veterinary technology. So uh, being a vet tech. Uh, nice. So when do you finish that degree then? Are we talking like 2010? It was, let's see, 20, was it 2011? Yeah, end of 2011 was when I actually ended up finishing. So definitely a lot later than what I had anticipated originally, but, you know, still got it done. So now what happens once you finish this degree, right? You're, now it's time, you're already out of your dad's house, or you're still in your dad's house until you, until you finish that degree? Uh, right. Sorry. Actually, I was 2012. End of 2012 was when I finished. I, yeah. Um, so um, what happened was, so during my pro time in the university, um, I had actually um, participated in uh, a, a startup accelerator program called TechStars. Um, they I had, you know, through some mutual friends, I had been connected with a company uh uh, where the co-founder, the the CEO, was looking for a technical co-founder, and so I went and helped her with that uh, and during my time. Uh, and um, you know, we got into a TechStars program uh, where where uh, we were spent a summer in Boulder, Colorado, uh, actually. And uh, I met up with some folks during the program. Actually, the founders of DigitalOcean, uh, if you've heard of DigitalOcean. Um, and so uh, what ended up happening is, you know, I, I go through the school, I finish my degree, uh, the startup I, had, I was part of didn't really quite work out um, as, as many startups don't. Uh, and, but, but then, you know, I had made some good connections through the Techstars program uh, to DigitalOcean and other companies. And so, you know, once I graduated, I reached out to the co-founders or one of the co-founders of DigitalOcean and said, hey, you know, how, <laughs> how are you guys doing? Are you still around? You know, are you, how's the business, how's the company doing? And so this was at the very beginning of 2013 where DigitalOcean was really starting to take off. Um, they had sort of found their product market fit and they were really um, starting to make a name for themselves a little bit. And so, you know, they reached back out to me uh, and said, hey, yeah, we're, you know, we haven't closed around a funding, but we are, we're growing the team and kind of looking to, we're starting to see some traction. Uh, and so uh, I ended up flying out to New York 
Uh, my interview with them was actually an entire week, <laughs> even though we had spent the summer together in, in uh, Boulder in the Techstars program. Um, uh, and, and by the end of it, they, they ended up actually hiring me. Uh, so extended an offer. I, I joined the company uh, at the beginning of 2013 as the first engineer outside of the founding team uh, to, to kind of work on, on the platform. No, I remember when I got into Go in, in 2013, we were, I, I, that's when I first discovered DigitalOcean 2. Well, probably like, you know, six months, uh, I don't know, say or the summer of uh, 2013. Did they, did you have to move to New York? Yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, at the time, DigitalOcean wasn't really big on remote. Uh, we didn't really, I don't think we had really internalized what remote even meant. To be honest with you, um, but I did end up moving to New York with my wife um, to work for the company, and and honestly, that was a really really good decision. I really enjoyed uh, my time in New York and the energy of the city. Um, so that was uh, sort of how things kicked off. I think I had been in that office. I did a training. I don't know what year, and that that was more like near downtown, right? They they had office space. Yep. Yeah, yeah I think in, I'd been in, in that in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a couple different ones, but yeah. So what was your, you're like, you're, you're sounding like you're almost like core engineer number one, core engineer number two. Um, what was your initial kind of role there? And, and, well, like, what were you asked to do in the first six months? What was your job there since this is all new kind of tech? Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, when I joined, uh, we had sort of two primary languages. So we had Ruby. Uh, Ruby and Rails is the sort of the, for the uh, control panel and the APIs and the public facing sites and things like that. Uh, and then uh, sort of the core of the stack, if you will, was made of, uh, was actually Perl. Um, and so I, I joined the team to work on the, for the, on the customer facing aspects of things. So the uh, control panel application, the API and the public, other public assets that we had. And so uh, I think the first six months or so, I mean, very quickly, uh, you know, I, 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 my first week or two, I spent doing security patching, making sure that we weren't running 11 versions of, uh, you know, 11 uh, revisions behind the currently, uh, current active branch of MIT Rails. And we had some pretty bad security bugs that we, that were CVEs that needed to be addressed uh, through those patches. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I got into, um, so building features for sure, but also a lot of hiring so we ended up hiring a couple of folks right after me uh, that joined the team, and, and I was part of those conversations. Um, but but definitely a lot of product development, uh, a lot of cleaning up some of the initial, you know, the core team that uh, the founding team had written, a little bit crafty code, if you will. So I kind of came in and helped clean up and refactor some of that and kind of made it so that we could continue to scale the different aspects of the... But their their core tech is really containerization, like before we even heard the word containerization, right? I mean, they hid that really, really well. Mm -hmm. so, so that was so, all written in Perl that they weren't doing, that didn't require C at the time or anything? No, no. So yeah, it was it, all the orchestration, everything in the back end was written in in, in, in Perl. Um, and I was actually, uh, so uh, that was the case all the way, I mean, all the way, I guess we didn't really introduce Go until 2014. Um, I, I personally got a little bit tired of working with the Perl that we had. And, you know, I had learned about uh, Go and I heard that, you know, 
Google was using it for their systems, uh, which so it seemed like a really natural fit for what we were doing at the time because it was a lot of it was systems programming for sure. Um, and and so we had the good fortune of, or I had the good fortune of knowing a couple of folks in the Go community, uh, Matt Amanetti, for example. Uh, and and so Matt came came to the DigitalOcean offices and talked to us uh, about his experience with Go uh, and how he had been kind of able to build some really cool things with it. And so that really helped sell Go at DigitalOcean. And and we hired a couple of engineers who had previous experience working with Go on their on the side and kind of doing things on their own. So. Um, we started moving away from Perl into Go, and you know today the backend is entirely written in, in Go. How long were you at Do? How long were you there? So I was there six years almost. So I started in uh, March of 2013, and I left in I think it was January of 2019. So quite a quite a while. Wow, that's that's a long time for for someone to be anywhere, which is I mean it's brilliant. So I'm. My guess is you touched just about every aspect of the stack there and were pretty well responsible almost for everything, or at least you could jump into everything. I mean, you saw massive growth over that six years too, right? You went from like, well, there must have been five of you <laughs> to a couple hundred people, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, on the people side, we went from five people to 550-ish by the time I left. So that was pretty strong you know, pretty astronomical growth. Um, I, I definitely had a, a, you know, had the good fortune of touching all sorts of different parts of the stack and, and kind of seeing all the different uh, growth that happened on the technology side and, and a lot of the, you know, complexity of it. Uh, you know, we had, a, I'd say we had from the early days of getting to a product market fit, we had a lot of technical debt that needed to be um, unwound uh, and, and kind of rethought out and kind of restructured and rebuilt in different ways. And, and so, so a lot of that sort of what happens when companies, uh, and I, I think it's a pretty common story, honestly, when there's a su successful company there, they will have a whole lot of technical debt to be. These are good problems to have. These are good right. problems to have. so lucky. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you see growth and you have to move quickly and your products got you there, but they're not scaling. And it's a good problem. Like, Let's just be real. You, if that's not happening, I, I don't know how you're in the. I don't know how you're successful. It's just they're just good problems to have. Do you remember the first time you were walking down the hall and you didn't know somebody? Like that moment where you're like, "Oh my God, I think we've gotten big." <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, I think there's a couple of those moments, honestly, but. I, I don't know if it hit me until maybe 2015, 2016, might have been 2016, probably when, when that started to happen a lot more. Um, but yeah, it was it was actually fairly quickly when when it kind of happened, honestly, when we got going. Um, you know, I uh, it, it's interesting when you look back, our engineering team for DigitalOcean at, in 2013 was all of, I think it was six people. It, it kind of oscillated between somewhere like five to 10, but I think by the end of 2013, we were six people. And, uh, you know, it was fun going out to <laughs> conferences and talking to people and they're like, oh, so you're a cloud provider. So you must have like a lot of people working for you. And it's like, well, our engineering team is six people. <laughs> and they're kind of blown away by that. It's like, wait, we have more than six people working in our thing and you're working on a cloud. Like, how's that working out for you? And uh, so, uh, yeah, that kind of kickstarted in 2014, where you really kind of realized that uh, we hadn't grown as, as much as we should have with the growth that we we're seeing, because we were seeing a lot of traction, like we couldn't rack servers fast enough to meet the demand of, of what we we're seeing. 
Like things were on fire all the time. And uh, so in 2014, we really started hiring. Uh, so we went from that six or seven engineers to 20 engineers by the end of end of that year, um, which seemed like a lot of growth at the time because it's it, it was a lot of people to absorb and kind of get productive. And and then from there, you know, I think the company grew to probably doubled that in, in the next year and then probably doubled again the year after. Uh, so very, I, I guess, pretty common sort of growth pattern there. Okay, so we've got like another, I want, I want to give us another 20 minutes here because we explored a lot of your, uh, your background, which that's the fascinating stuff. But you're there for six years. You are pretty core to the business and the operation. It's 2019. You decide it's time to move on. So talk to me a little bit about that decision, how hard it was, um, and, and what what you did transition to next so yeah it's you know um so the last thing that i worked on at, at DigitalOcean is actually the uh, DigitalOcean kubernetes service so i had the good fortune um so i had by then by 2019 i had already tr i had transitioned into engineering management uh, which i couldn't start doing in 2014 when i took over as the I, at first i was one of the two leads and then i took over as a director of engineering until we brought on a cto and uh, so uh, I had kind of gone, started dabbling in the engineering management, engineering leadership space, if you will. Um, and, you know, the last project that I worked on was, was the DigitalOcean Kubernetes service. Um, so it's interesting, we, we got into Kubernetes in late 2015 as part of an internal team uh, that uh, myself and another engineer, one of the early hires had started recognizing that we had trouble uh, operationalizing new services. It was, it took us a long time, like from the moment the software was written, it was ready to ship. It took about a week to ship a new service, if you can believe it. Uh, and, and we felt like that was too long. And so we, we got started exploring containerization and other technology or other prevalent sort of technologies at the time to see how we could speed up the process. Uh, we had started already using containers in 2014 for our testing infrastructure. Um, and so, you know, we ended up building an internal platform that looks a lot like Heroku in some ways, or inspired by Heroku, I should say, um, as a way to expedite the process of deploying services at DigitalOcean in, in 2016. And so that it went from one week to an hour to basically t turn on a new service. At wow. Most. Um, yeah, that was a pretty big win. <laughs> uh, and so... You know, I had worked on Kubernetes, and I at that point I had I had I was really hooked on Kubernetes. I thought this was like the best thing since sliced bread. Like it was just amazing to me when they described the way that you could interact with this platform uh, through APIs to deploy software. It was just like I was like, wow, where has this thing been in my all of my life? <laughs> I didn't have to do all the things that I had to do previously to deploy software, and so. Um, so we built the DigitalOcean Kubernetes service with a really great team of folks. Um, I really had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, and so I was con looking to continue to stay in that infrastructure, in that container space. And so um, I had some friends who had uh, a company uh, called Stackpoint Cloud that was acquired by NetApp. Uh, and so, um, you know, they, I had been talking to them for a while. And, and so when they got acquired, you know, they had a really enticing sort of uh, pitch in terms of like what they were looking to do at NetApp. And so I went to work with them at NetApp. Um, you know, at that point, 
Um, I felt like my career at DigitalOcean was a little bit stagnating. It wasn't, I wasn't really finding the opportunities um, to, to kind of really do what I wanted to do. And so I felt like it was time for a change um, to try something new. And so I went to work at StackPoint Cloud uh, or at, at NetApp at the time. That must have been, I'm going to interrupt you for a second, that must have been a tough conversation to have with the founders at DigitalOcean. Were they supportive? What, what was just... Uh, this is going to be a tough question, right? Because you've had such a close relationship with them, right? And now you're saying, I, I, it's time for me to move on. I think I've done everything I'm going to do here, and I've helped you grow this business. I want to do something new. I mean, was that the conversation? So, uh, to be honest with you, I had uh, grown a little bit apart from from the founders, um, and and you know the the uh, founder or the founders that were remaining at the company were. I'd say they were they were focused on other things, so uh, you know, making sure that the company continues to scale and do well and all that stuff. So we didn't really have that much of a conversation, to be honest with you. I just kind of let everybody know I'm, I was going to move on, and um, you know that it was it was my time to kind of do something else. Uh, and so I, I think had I really sat down with them, I think it might have been a hard conversation, but we <laughs> never really had the opportunity to have the hard conversation. So. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't that hard for me, I guess. Um, I had kind of made up my mind. There's a few few things that were kind of nagging me about where where we were do, going as a company and what kind of things were priorities versus not priorities. And so um, I just felt like it was overdue uh, for me to take make, make a change of scenery. Now, I have to imagine that this new opportunity, you said it was at NetApp. Am I saying that right? Was there any sort of roadmap for you to be more than just employee number X? Because I know that you still have in the back of your head this, this desire to be an entrepreneur. Was there any sort of entrepreneurial aspects to this next jump? Or was it just a tech, something like technical that you wanted to try to solve? Yeah, it was, it was definitely more on the technical side of things. I, I wasn't making the move because I felt like, or I didn't think about sort of what position it would put me in. It was just, I, it allowed me to continue work on interesting technology, uh, primarily around Kubernetes and building building a you know a product that seemed like it had a lot of promise. Um, now, unfortunately, I I only ended up spending six months there because I realized that the goals of the company weren't quite aligned with what I believed <laughs> uh, and how I thought we should be moving. Um, it was a lot more political than I had expected. I hadn't really worked at a big company at the time, so I didn't realize just how political things can get um, and how much politics politics pay, play into decision-making versus facts or like how things should be maybe done from an objective engineering perspective. Um, so I, I decided to actually move on to uh, VMware from there. Now, you just jumped from one big company to an even larger one, right? Yeah. Um, yes. At this point, had VMware purchased Teptio already? They were going hedge down Kubernetes at that point? Right. So, yes, they had. And, and I, you know, that was the primary reason I had. It's interesting. I had talked, you know, I, I think back in 20, I think it was 2016, 2017, I had talked with both Craig McClucky and, and Joe, uh, Joe Bida uh, at KubeCon. Europe somewhere about potentially joining them when they're still Heptio. Uh, I ended up not pulling the trigger because I was still happy doing what I was doing at, um, at DigitalOcean. Uh, but fast forward a few years, you know, they had been purchased by VMware. I think it was actually just the previous year that had happened or like previous, whenever it was. Uh, but it was, yeah, basically the previous year it had happened. And so 
um, I knew a bunch of folks there uh, who who had I had reached out and seen like, hey, what are you what are you working on there? It seems like you're up to a lot of interesting things. They weren't really publicly talking about what they were doing there, but I figured that they were probably doing something in the Kubernetes space, and so. Uh, through those conversations, I got linked up with a recruiter and ended up joining uh, after I spoke with uh, Craig McClucky and he kind of painted the vision for the next five years for a lot of what you're actually seeing out of VMware today in terms of the Tanzu product line. I was I was pretty blown away by how Craig was already talking about something that wasn't, you know, anywhere on any public roadmap or any, anything that you could touch. Uh, but now it's it's nice to see those things actually coming out from VMware and, and them following through with that vision. So. Um, yeah, I was really excited about the opportunity. I actually uh, got a chance to join a, um, as an engineer manager for a, an open source focused team that was actually working in the upstream Kubernetes, uh, solving a problem that I had tried to solve at a couple of companies now. So how you provision Kubernetes clusters across multiple different cloud providers in the same way, essentially. So without relying on the cloud provider specific implementation of a, of a Kubernetes service, but how do you provision clusters basically uniformly across any environment? That was sort of the pitch. Was that a particular project like Valero or um, I can't remember some of the other projects that came in after FTO, but it was one of those types of projects, right? Yes, so this was uh, the cluster API or this is the cluster API project that's in upstream Kubernetes. And it's interesting that project has is, is being used, you know, the pitch was this is being used as core technology in in VMware itself, so um, the uh, vCenter or vSphere Seven actually ships with this technology at the core of it, uh, or as part of it, uh, and then also some of the cloud providers are basing some of their offerings around this. So like EKS Anywhere, Azure has a uh, a service that uses this, and then I believe Google also has a service that uses this as the core technology of it. So it was a really uh, exciting opportunity to work on something that I, I believe to be a not entirely solved problem and and in the open, right? This is like a big commitment from VMware and still is uh, to do this work in the open. And so that was really exciting. And the team, I was really excited about some of the folks on the team. I had met them through uh, KubeCons. Um, actually, uh, some of the folks from Valero and, and other projects were on that team. And so I felt like it was a really strong team uh, with a really interesting and ambitious uh, challenge. Uh, to be doing and working on in the open. So I, I couldn't believe my luck when, when I, they extended the offer to actually join as part of that team. Plus, you know, I tell engineers all the time uh, uh, around engineering, like what's the legacy you're leaving behind? You don't want to finish your career 20, 30 years from now and not have any of the code you've ever written still running in production solving problems, right? This was an opportunity where the, the work you've done, the code you're writing, is really driving the internet at some level, right? Like it's a beautiful legacy to, to be able to look back on when you're finished. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, you know, I, I, I'm a strong believer and proponent of open source and I, I think the right thing to do for a project like this was to solve it in the open. And I was really glad to see the commitment that, uh, you know, Heptio had started that, right? But VMware was continuing to support and sponsor that work. Um, and, and working in the open. And so that was really, really a great, great place to see, um, you know, a big company working in the open doing, solving these problems. Now, um, you know, so fast forward from when I had joined, uh, I, I was in that position for about six months before we got merged into an internal product organization um, to, to solve this problem, 
continue to work on this problem, but my focus went away from being in the open, in the open source side of things to more on the product focused side of things. And so, you know, I had really joined, to be honest with you, I had joined VMware to be focused on upstream open source. Like that was a, that was a unique opportunity. Like, should we all be luck, so lucky to work on open source, right? Um, and, and I had, so I'd really hoped to be able to continue to do that. But unfortunately, uh, VMware had needed uh, folks to, needed to kind of reorganize the team a little bit and around more of the core product, um, even though the engineers themselves actually continued to work on the upstream open source. It was just me in my role. I kind of focused more internally from then on. And so that wasn't really what I kind of wanted to continue to do. It's not that it was bad or anything. VMware was definitely one of the best companies I've ever worked for, honestly. They really do take care of their people um, and they do really do right by the team folks that are there. Um, but it wasn't quite the ambition that I had, right? So um, I ended up moving, uh, moving on from there after about 11 months uh, to a financial services company uh, where I took on a lot, lot larger role as a sort of a head of technology for uh, a, a, their private cloud efforts. Um, and so, because it was, again, familiar territory that I had sort of spent some time in, having worked at DigitalOcean, so we, so we got we got ten minutes left, and I, I want to explore. Uh, I want to spend a couple of minutes exploring that because one of the reasons you left VMware was because you weren't able to do the open source stuff. But then you jump into a financial firm where everything is not open source. If anything, it's more locked down <laughs> into into closed source kind of infrastructure. Was, were you like, you know what, I'm just going to use this as a stepping stone to get to the next thing, which I imagine now is you're trying to figure out what is that product that is missing from, can I guess, the Kubernetes space? Because I feel like you love that space. But um, talk about that. Why that job? And how long were you there? So, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and, and it sounds ironic going from, <laughs> I was focused on internal company stuff to entirely focused on internal <laughs> uh, company stuff. Um, so, so the um, CTO of, of the financial services company was actually one of the early employees of DigitalOcean. Um, he, he was a good friend of mine. Uh, and, uh, you know, he had re him and I had had conversations over the years uh, he'd kind of reach out every now and then and be like, hey, you know, are you in the market? Um, you know, up to that point, the challenge had been they wanted me to relocate to New York because that's where the company has like the, not the headquarters, but like the main offices, if you will. And I was like, I'm, you know, I, I by then I had moved to Boulder, Colorado, and I was like, well, I'm not really looking to move back to the city. You know, I'm looking for something else at this point. And so then it didn't work out. Um, then the pandemic happened or is happening, I guess. And um, they, as everyone else, had to kind of refigure out how are they going to hire people, continue to attract people, allow people to continue to be productive and being remote friendly and all or remote. Uh, whether you choose to be remote or not, you don't really get a say in that in this, uh, if you're in the, in the technology space or most, most of the spaces, I guess, industries. And so, uh, you know, the opportunity came to join them. Uh, remotely, we're, you know, continuing to work where I was uh, and, and focusing on an area that was really like, there's a really ambitious uh, vision and, and kind of a big commitment from the company to build something uh, in the uh, 
in the sort of private cloud space where like, like everybody else in that space was going, going into the public cloud and instead they were, you know, building their own private internal private cloud. Um, and so I've really like really enjoyed infrastructure and I do continue to enjoy infrastructure in the cloud space. And so I was like, you know what, it'd be kind of fun to go back to the cloud uh, you know, building a cloud uh, instead of just working in the Kubernetes space, even though I, I do like the Kubernetes space a lot and I think it's a wonderful community. Um, but uh, at, at the core, like I, there's something about infrastructure that I just enjoy uh, so much. And so I decided to make the leap and join the team there uh, to lead uh, a part of the CTO organization that was focused on the private cloud efforts and, and some of the platform services. Basically, a data center that was going to have its own machines that you had to build all this orchestration around. Because my guess is the financial data, you're not putting that in a public cloud, even though they're certified at a certain level of tiers. I forgot what all that certification is. But no, we're not going to do that. We're going to run it. We want to put a machine up, pixie boot it, and make it all work, right? So, so that's a big project to, to do from scratch. So that's cool. And how long are you there? So I, in all, all in all, I ended up spending about 15 months there. Um, again, I, I think this is the last time I needed to realize that big company politics just wasn't really what I was wanting to do. Like it wasn't my, the life as I imagined it versus the life that I ended up having, I guess, or the work life anyway, uh, was a little bit different. Um, and it was heavily around politics and kind of, I mean, it's, especially in a financial service services company, you know, there's, there's a lot, it's a very large company that's made up of a lot of smaller companies, essentially that they've purchased and, and kind of brought together. Um, and so there's a lot of people that you have to work with and, and it's really great. I, I mean, I, I think it works well for the, for the business, but it, on the technology side, it's pretty challenging when you're part of the sort of the centralized IT organization, if you will, and you need to convince everyone else to move into your onto your platform and start using your services and help them figure things out. It's all territory. I've been in these environments. It's all territory. And if somebody feels their territory is getting infringed on, then they're worried about their job. So you you got to play this delicate balance of making sure everybody feels comfortable that their job is secure tomorrow and we're not eating into territory and everybody's okay. It's hard. It is. It is hard. And, and I, I, you know, I honestly enjoy solving more technical problems than I do sort of political ones, if you will. Um, and so it, it ended up not quite being the job that I wanted to do. I think there's a couple the, you know, the folks right that were reporting up to me, I think, had more of the job that I was hoping I could do. And so, uh, you know, I, I uh, ended up doing a lot more spreadsheets and, and meetings than than actual technical work, which, you know, I guess naive thinking that I would be doing that at a that level. So let me ask you a question now. You have your you have this stealth startup. We're not going to talk about what you're doing. Um, is this the next thing now after this financials company? How do you set yourself up at this point? Have you been saving a ton of cash to know that I'm going to have a salary to like and rate? Like, I, I want to at least I'm going to take ten more minutes here. I, I want you to talk about how you decide that, you know what, I'm, I'm going to start a product company, I'm going to start my own. How do you prepare prepare yourself? How did you quickly kind of choose other people to do this with? I'm sure there's a ton of people in the same shoes as you, but how do I get started? Uh, how do I live? How do I 
maybe kind of talk about that because you're, what did you say? You were, you're N number of months in right now. You just started this, this, this self. So talk a little bit about how you finally decide to make the jump, how you're affording to do that in terms of putting milk on the table, getting other people involved, um, and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Happy to. Uh, and I, I suppose I should start and say, like, I, I had the good fortune of, you know, having been an early employee of DigitalOcean um, and, and DigitalOcean having gone public um, last year. Right. So that uh, that gave me a little bit of financial freedom that it allowed me to be a little bit more um, willing to take a risk. Uh, and I I mean, I'll say I, I've I tend to live pretty frugally in the way that, you know, we make a pretty good salary as tech employees. In general, right, and so I, you know, set, have set aside every every month some amount of money. So I do have savings that I could live off of. But we also had the good fortune of DigitalOcean going going public, so I, I made a little bit of money selling some of the stock as part of that as well. And your wife works too. Does she end up becoming a vet, or did she end up? No, she's she's actually stay at home. Um, so she's not really uh, working uh, from that standpoint. I mean, she's. Doing everything uh, no, no, that no, 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 at no. home so I, that allows me to do I, my I job. Just, no, yeah. well, there, uh, I'm not saying that there's, there's no extra income coming in beyond beyond what you're doing. That that was the question. Yep, yep. Uh, yes, that's right. So it is just this job. Um, and so, right. So how do we get here? Um, so, like I had been talking with my uh, friend at the financial services company. Um, I had been talking, I, so I've maintained relationships with um, one of the co-founders of DigitalOcean, like from the very beginning, like the person. So he tells the story like when we're at Techstars in 2012, like I would, whenever he was having lunch, uh, like I'd come and talk his ear off about infrastructure, about what DigitalOcean should do and all these things. And so, uh, you know, we, we kind of became friends through that experience. And, and especially when I joined the company, we worked very closely the early only a couple of years of the company's life uh, together. And so we spent, formed a really good relationship. And so, you know, him and I, um, we both kind of stepped away from DigitalOcean. And so we have been talking in the background, like about ideas, like, what do we do next? What do we do next? Like we, we, we both felt like we wanted to do something, right? We, we, we've thrown around a couple of different company ideas and some of those ideas have actually materialized into actual companies, not the, not ones that we had built, but somebody else had already built. And so we're like, well, that that company's really like they're really kicking ass in that space, and so we shouldn't even shouldn't even do that. But um, this latest iteration of the idea was something that he had had kicking around in his head for for quite a while. And um, you know, we got to talking, and I was convinced that this is something that should have existed, should exist, must exist. Um, and so far, we haven't found anything that does uh, does exactly what we're talking about. And I can tell you, it is not in the infrastructure space, actually. It is not Kubernetes, even though it should be in Kubernetes because that's what I love and uh, love. But, it, it, you know, we're trying to do something different, uh, branch out a little bit. And uh, so, you know, him being one of the co-founders of DigitalOcean, uh, he's financially in a position where he can also um, kind of afford to do some of this. And so... Um, you know, we we're we felt like now is a good time for us to try some, try our hand at something new, uh, and and kind of really see where we can take this idea. Is it just the both of you at this point then doing enough of a MVP of engineering to be able to to shop it around? Is that the idea? 
is the idea to raise VC? So, so there's um, the team. We're actually a team of six folks now. Um, uh, so we have a couple other co-founders as well, also from the DigitalOcean days. Some some uh, really smart folks that we've all gotten along and worked well together, uh, as well as a couple other folks that we've brought on since then uh, to kind of augment the team. So we are three engineers and, and a product, a uh, couple of product folks um, uh, doing doing this, and so. Primarily, we're actually not in the phase of building anything yet in terms of like writing code. But what we are, what we are doing is a lot of customer interviews, talking to customers, kind of pitching our idea and figuring out how we, how our customers would perceive, how how do the potential customers perceive it, and what are their pains in this particular area. And so we're doing a lot of sort of domain understanding the domain better. Um, and and kind of making sure testing our idea and testing some of the waters around it uh, and and kind of iterating on the idea if you will so we've we've gone through a couple of iterations like we started with a hypothesis and we're continuing to prove that hypothesis or disprove that hypothesis by talking to people um, so by now we've talked to like 40 or so companies uh, just testing the waters and, and really understanding how they're experiencing this space and so far and you've got a decade of experience here, but I, I, I'm always, we have tried at Arden to build product where we weren't going to be the ones actually using it. You know, we felt companies needed it. We, but we've never been successful doing that. I, I feel like it's from my experience and other, you can do it. You can pull it off. I think you're doing the research to make it happen, but I always get nervous when you can't use the product yourself to be able to dog food it to make sure it's actually, have you thought about that? Is this something that you're gonna to try to, that you could potentially use in your own business to really make sure that if it's working for you, it can work for someone else? Or is the goal to get a couple of these companies to commit to, even for free, to leverage the tech so you can learn? Yeah, so um, there's a little bit of both. Um, we would certainly love to drink our own champagne, as, as the saying goes. Uh, and and so be a customer of our own product, um, and that was certainly what we did at DigitalOcean. Like that was one of the benefits of being a cloud provider is you could run your own stuff on your own stuff, even though it's kind of also dangerous. But you know it is what it is. Um, this is a little bit different because it's um, it's a product that requires a certain level of maturity of a business for them to be able to leverage it. Um, it is as we've continued to talk to customers and as we've learned more about the space. We do believe we can actually start with customers pretty early on in the stage of their company. Uh, and so we do certainly hope and do certainly believe that we can be, build our own business using this product as well or around it. Um, but but we do have a few, um, a handful of uh, design partners that we were working with as customers more closely to kind of build the product that would service them and, and address their needs at first and foremost. So they're, we're kind of using, leveraging these customer design partners as a way to build the right product and make sure it, it works for companies that are uh, further along than we are as a business, of course. Um, they, you know, they... I, don't, I don't know how you haven't gotten your hands on the keyboard yet at all to even prototype. You haven't done any, any even, like, I, you know, I, I talk about programming and engineering. Programming is just getting something to work. Engineering is being able to put it in production. I mean, I imagine you've done some programming. Like, you must have been proving a little bit, right? We, yeah, so we, we have, we have um, 
I'll say we've thrown a lot of stuff away. <laughs> we'll, we've thrown a lot, a lot well, I shouldn't say a lot, but we've thrown a few small things, experiments and things like that away, but it's been a lot, of, lot more of it is conceptual work. And part of the reason is because uh, we have not spent any super meaningful time in this space, like in anger. We have folks in, on the team who have been living and breathing this space uh, and, and have good insights in this space, but some of us on the team have not done as much. And so, you know, we've done more like just exploring and understanding the space. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting experience when you start from a blank canvas, when there's like nothing on the page, right? You're just trying to conceptualize it and figure out like, well, how do we, you know, it's like the, you, the O'Reilly or the, the joke about where you draw the owl, right? You have the two circles and the next thing is the owl, right? We're going from that. We don't even have the two circles. I guess not by now we have the two circles, but we're working from transitioning from the two circles to that fully drawn owl. Uh, and so um, we it's it's a lot of it has been like product work, working with our uh, product manager or VP of product, talking to our customers and really hearing and listening to what their problems are, what their pain points are, and kind of digging in on those to understand the domains and um where, where they're kind of having problems and then thinking about how do we actually solve that, those things for them and doing a lot of research um, in terms of, because it's, it's more in the business domain than, than it is in the infrastructure space. And so exploring the business domain from, from, to better understand and make sure that we're, our approach is viable and, and it, uh, it'll actually be something that we can build. That's exciting. So two last questions here, because we're, we're, we're really out of time, but I, I want to ask these two questions. Have you set a, a, a mark in time where either this is working or not working so you don't bleed cash? Um, that's the first question. So have you, have you set that? Like, if we're not at a certain point on this date, then we shouldn't bleed any more of our because I've, my first business failed miserably. I didn't set that. And we bled slowly. Bleeding slowly is worse than just cutting an artery. And because it, you understand. So have you, even at least personally for yourself, said, I'm willing to invest X amount of my own money to get to this point here, and then we're going to make decision? We, we have talked about timelines. And, uh, you know, I, I think when we set out, we said we'd give this a year and, and see whether we can turn it into something or not. Um, in terms of shipping something, I, I do think that we want to ship something sooner than that. We're, we're, you know, we're trying, we're fast approaching the point at which we want to put hands on keyboards and start writing some code. And even if it's like a prototype that we might end up throwing away, but something we can put in front of our customers and actually, you know, try, really try the solving the problem for them. Um, we're, we're just working on getting our confidence up to the point where we, we feel like we've figured out the right angle and we have the sort of right foundation in place to do that. So domain and data modeling side of things first. Um, but, but, you know, it, about a year is, is kind of what we had started out with uh, as sort of the goal milestone. And how many months are you in right now? You're three months in or, or less? Uh, two to three months. Yeah. Two to three months. Okay. And then my last question is, are you thinking that what you're building eventually becomes open source since we talked about that affinity you have for open source. Can we expect that when you're successful and you've got this stuff working, that it's going to be open sourced? 
That is a, a thing that we've had a lot of conversations around. Uh, I, you know, I think the engineers on the team feel strongly that we should definitely be contributing to the open source and finding something that we can contribute. I think there will be some secret sauce that won't be contributed, but we certainly would, we hope that we can make some meaningful contributions to the open source space and add add some new things, even if it's not the core technology itself. Uh, but uh, but there will be some problems we'll be solving along the way that we hope to contribute to the open source and do it in a way transparently in the open um, uh, as much as we can, right? But there, there, there probably will be some core aspects of it that's considered quote, quote unquote secret sauce that we'd like to keep closed source, at least for now. Uh, and then, but, but there will be aspects of this that we, most certainly would love to contribute to the open open source. The biggest problem is is the revenue model. I, I talked to some people a couple of days ago, and I asked them where after they told me everything. I said, and I don't, I'm not asking you this to answer this question. I, I'm just what I'm saying is I asked them, well, what's your revenue model for this idea? And they looked at me and said, well, what's your idea? And I'm like, I don't, know, I, don't I can't think of one. That's why I'm asking you, right? And that gets that's always scares the hell out of me. When I ask an entrepreneur, somebody who's looking to build a business, what's your revenue model? And they don't have one. And so I'm not asking you what that, but um, you're shaking your head. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that to me is a critical conversation to have. And when it comes into saying we're going to open source, the revenue model answer becomes even more difficult, right? So... Well, what I can tell you this is that there is a lot of open source that people are using uh, to solve aspects of the problem that we're addressing. Um, but I think the truth is that it takes, it's not the software alone that's enough sometimes or oftentimes to solve the problems. Like there's, you know, the way you put these things together, there's a lot of human effort involved in that. And so uh, even if we had made all the open source software open source, it may not be enough. But I will say this, my personal take on startups um, is that if I can't understand the way a company makes money, that's not a company that I want to work for. I couldn't necessarily work for a social, any kind of a social company because I have a hard time figuring out how they make money other than selling ads. And I'm not really uh, super keen on selling ads per se or people's personal data. In fact, I'm the opposite. I'm pretty big on privacy. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, for me, it's, I, I, I could never work for a company. I, I shouldn't say never, but I, I, I have a hard time working for a company where I don't understand how the money is made at the end of the day. Um, and that's why, and it's not to say that a purely open source can't work. I, I think there are lots of examples or some examples where it has worked, but it's, it's definitely challenging. And it's something that's, I wish, open source could make money more easily. I think, I wish that was the case, uh, but it is very challenging. Uh, I think there's a, and I've heard, listened to a couple of episodes of some of your other guests who are, you know, prolific open source contributors and making some really meaningful software in the open. And I know, you know, from their experiences, from what I've heard and what I've seen in the, in the industry, it's, it's really, really, really challenging to monetize it. And I, I wish it weren't, I wish there were better ways of doing that. Um, including company sponsorships. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're, I, I'm, it makes me more relaxed to hear you say that because that's, it just makes me nervous when, when, when that answer, and you could be wrong about your revenue model. That's fair. You're going to pivot. But to start without one, just um, from my experience, it's scary. Yeah, 
yeah, it's challenging to make a build a business if you don't have a revenue model in mind and something that um, you've tested a little bit. Yeah, no, I'm always like, let's make see if somebody will just pay me a dollar. If somebody pay me one dollar, we're good, right? It's not about a million dollars. It's just will somebody put one dollar out of their pocket and hand it to me? All right, we're 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 good. All right, we are completely out of time, and as always, I could keep keep talking. And this story is really fascinating. If Anyone wants to maybe get in touch with you and talk to you, what is the best, we'll put it on the show notes, but, but what is the best way for people to reach out to you? Sure. Um, so my first name, so Jonas with two O's, J-O-O-N-A-S, uh, is my handle on Twitter and uh, GitHub. That's probably the best way to reach out to me. Uh, obviously, you can't reach out through uh, to, through uh, GitHub, but Twitter is, is definitely where I um try to be as active as I can. I, I'm more of a consumer than a producer in terms of Twitter content, but I do respond to DMs and, and whatnot. Uh, so if people want to get in touch, that would be the best way to reach out. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, thank you again for all your time. This is Bill Kennedy and Giannis with the Auden Labs podcast signing off and hope to see everybody again real soon.